Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Colorado Rockies. And to help break down the Rockies farm system, we're pleased to be joined by Joe Healy. Joe took care of the Rockies prospect handbook chapter for us this year, one of the recent additions to the BA staff. Joe, the Rockies had one of the best farm systems in baseball in the early to mid-2010s and successfully graduated that really impressive prospect crop to the majors. And as a result, they made the postseason back-to-back years for the first time in franchise history, 2017-2018. They took the Dodgers to game 163 in 2018, one game tiebreaker away from taking the division crown from them and ending their run. Since then, things have been significantly leaner. A series of free agent signings that did not work out really kind of sent things in a downward spiral playing certain players who were not as good as some of the players they had on the bench really led to some issues with the offense. There were a couple instances of cases like that. And their homegrown pitching staff, which was the strength of those 2017-18 playoff teams, various points, Kyle Freeland or John Gray have been up and down, Antonio Sensatella. Herman Marquez has been relatively consistent, but the combination of those factors has resulted in back-to-back fourth-place finishes. When you look at where the Rockies are right now, particularly given the Dodgers are the defending world champions, the Padres have loaded up, the Giants have gotten better faster than anyone expected. When you look at where this team is in the major leagues now, plus what they have in the farm system, even if they are able to keep Nolan Arenado and extend Trevor Story, where are they in the pecking order and and how realistic is it for them to get back into, just to start with a winning record after two straight years of finishing well below 500? So it's a little bit weird because I, on, on his face, it, it's not great, right? I mean, the division is, is tough and, and getting tougher. You alluded to a lot of the reasons why that is. And, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck in this, 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 this middle ground, it seems like, where they had a good big league team just a couple of years ago, and that has fallen off for the reasons you've, you've suggested. And there's not, at least on paper, a ton of immediate help coming from the farm system that you think is going to be – a game changer really to the point where they could overtake say the Padres or Dodgers and the, in the, certainly the Padres and Dodgers in the division. On the other hand though, the thing about it is that I kept coming back to is if you squint hard enough on this team, it seems like they shouldn't be far off, right? Like they, they should not be as far off as the back-to-back fourth place finishes in the division would suggest. I mean, that homegrown pitching staff that yes, has been inconsistent, but they're all still there for the most part. 
and they've had some bad luck, but what if that luck turns around, right? I mean, that, that stuff kind of happens. The offense hasn't been very good when you, when you adjust for park factors and things like that. But at the same time, I mean, this is a team that has Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado on the left side of its infield, right? I mean, that's a great place to start. And a guy like Charlie Blackman, who just kind of keeps on keeping on to a certain degree. So it's one of those deals where I don't think it's as dire as maybe some folks would have you think it is. But I will agree that they are in this kind of awkward place where and maybe this is a transition kind of into the system, but they are in kind of this awkward place where, you know, you look at the big league team and you're like, yeah, that ain't it. But at the same time, it's not like they can really just reboot this team on the fly with, hey, let's kind of clean out the upper level of the farm system and really just let those kids go and hope that puts us over the top. And I think that's kind of why they're in this awkward stage where it's like, what do we do with Story and Arenado long term? Um, and that, I think that's where the questions come from. But it, I just, this is a team, you don't have to really talk me into this team maybe being good in 2021. And maybe I'm nuts for that. But I mean, the players are the same ones that got them there a couple of years ago. I think there is talent here again. You talk about Arenado and Story, Charlie Blackman, of course. You know, Rymel Tapia has done some good things. I know for me, I'd be interested to see if guys like Garrett Hampson and Ryan McMahon, young guys, got consistent every day at bats. Again, they've been blocked in years past. Ian Desmond being a major guy who's blocked, frankly, some, some better players than him at this point in his career. He obviously opted out of the 2020 season. But just in terms of the production level he was giving them prior to that, Daniel Murphy was another veteran free agent they signed. That did not work out. And I think it's interesting to look at a lot of the young players are still here. They did non-tender David Dahl. That was probably the most confusing non-tender of any this offseason. He's been injured, but it was only 2019. He was an all-star caliber outfielder. So I think there are some things that can be done in terms of, again, just putting the right players on the field. I think a little bit about to the Mets a few years ago when they were still playing Jose Reyes at shortstop when he was well past his prime. And once they finally, and he was just a, a symptom of a larger problem, but once they started getting rid of the guys who just weren't productive anymore and letting the younger kids play every single day, Nimmo, Conforto, you know, Dominic Smith, they brought up Pete Alonzo, all of a sudden they had a pretty good offense. So I'll be curious to see if the Rockies make that pivot, let the younger kids play, give them consistent everyday at bats and, see what they have here. Um, because you're right, this farm system, again, for all the right reasons, they graduated a tremendous amount of talent. They made some trades. So the farm system is down, but again, it's down for the right reasons. It's not like they haven't drafted and developed well. They've drafted and developed incredibly well. It's just putting the right guys on the field. And, and it's going to probably be another year or two before the bulk of this farm system is really ready to help in the major leagues. But one guy who could be ready to help sooner rather than later is Brendan Rogers. He's still prospect eligible because injuries keep sidetracking him. He made his major league debut in 2019, had a shoulder surgery. I uh, was expected to play a larger role in 2020. Again, was limited by injury. He remains the number one prospect in this farm system. Again, next year's his age 24 season. He's not super old. He's still young. At this point, where does Brendan Rogers stand and what can Rockies fans reasonably expect from him? So I can, I can tell you the Rockies still really like him. Now, they're going to tell me that, right? Uh, nobody's going to go in there and dog their number one prospect, but they're really excited about what he can, he can be. There's two things here. One is that there's no way around the fact that feedback from around the league is kind of shaving tools grades off of Brendan Rodgers kind of slowly but surely as the years have gone by. 
So there is a little bit of a decaying belief in some of his tools. The other thing is though, for one, had the 2020 season been a normal season, he graduates, he finally probably gets a chance to show what he can do at the big league level over a long period of time, whether that turns out to be good or bad or somewhere in between. We would know a lot more about Brendan Rodgers had 2020 been a little more normal, right? So there's also that piece there. The thing about it is though, is that what I would posit to a Rockies fan who is a little bit down on Brendan Rodgers right now, and for understandable reasons, is if Brendan Rodgers, you, you said it, 24 years old, if he in 2021 starts with the big league club and hits, whether right out of the box or just ends up hitting, and he puts up, you know, a type of year that makes him a credible piece on the infield alongside Arenado and Story and really makes the offense better, just however you want to define that. And now he's, you've got yourself a 25-year-old, maybe cornerstone infielder who is going to be around um, for a long, long time. Like, yes, would you have preferred that to happen at 22? or 23. Absolutely. But I think we've, we've gotten really caught up on the fact that he's gotten stalled at this last level of development. And that's disappointing. But it also, to me, doesn't necessarily have to materially change what he can be. There's still a lot of confidence he's going to hit at the big league level. Maybe he's not a shortstop. But I don't know if Trevor Story's around, they don't necessarily need that. Although the Rockies will tell you they think he could still be the shortstop of the future. Mixed reviews on whether or not that will actually be the case. But they like his athleticism and, and what he brings glove-wise on the infield. Like I said, they think he, he's still a guy who's an above-average hitter with average power. And if he becomes that starting at 25 years old, he's a little bit late, sure, but uh, better late than never, I guess. I just, I, I'm not so sure I would necessarily be selling all of the Brendan Rodgers stock right now. You can be disappointed, but I don't think that changes the fact that he's still somebody who can come in and really make your offense better in 2021. Yeah, I think he's, for the most part throughout his career, shown – just a really, really impressive ability to get the bat to the ball. I think the main question a lot of people have is, is injuries. He has had injuries almost every year of his career, dating back to when he was down at the lowest levels in the minor leagues. And that's obviously concerning. What is his prognosis and his outlook health-wise? Because I think as much as anything we talk about with tools, that's going to determine what kind of big leaguer Brendan Rodgers becomes, just given that history. Yeah, so from, from everything I, I heard from, from Rocky's folks is that he is fully healthy. The 2020 injuries were more of the, um, on the minor side, there was, one of them was a shoulder injury, which I think made people's uh, ears kind of perk up a little bit because the shoulder has been one of his more uh, nagging injuries. That's a recurring thing. However, from what I was told, it was more that, uh-oh, we don't want this to actually be a serious shoulder thing let's sit him down and make sure he's fully right rather than pushing. So this, the, the feeling I got was that they were comfortable that he was healthy, but because the season was winding down and because, you know, they were wrapping up this kind of short truncated season with the team kind of going nowhere for more, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, that they were just really, really careful with him. And that if they had needed him, if it's a stretch run thing, or if he had, you know, really, you know, um, you know, if, if they felt like they needed him on the field, they could have gotten him on the field. It wasn't anything that was holding him back. They were just being extra cautious with him. So from their standpoint, he's going to be fully healthy, a full go going into 2021 and really was towards the end of 2020 and would have been on the big league roster had, had it not been for the fact that, you know, the season was as truncated as it was. Yeah. Again, I'll be very curious to see if, again, if he can stay healthy and you can do something where just, Ryan McMahon's your everyday first baseman. Brendan Rodgers is your everyday second baseman. You pair them with Story and Arenado. Garrett Hampson's your utility guy. And I think getting that young 
crop of infielders all together would do well for the Rockies. We have to see if Nolan Arenado, of course, is still on the roster by opening day. He's been the subject of trade rumors, and then that opens up some possibilities of where guys move around the infield. Rogers and, and McMahon have some versatility, but I know I think a lot of people are curious to see what this looks like because at this point, just given where the Rockies are, it does make sense to start kind of turning the keys over a little bit to some of the younger guys who are major league ready. If nothing else, you want to see what you have, but also the rest of the guys in the farm system are going to need some time. Given Brendan Rogers and his, his tool set, uh, his skills, as well as, you know, the injury history and just kind of the total package of everything. How close was it in terms of him remaining the Rockies number one prospect? I said it was four straight years. This is actually his fifth straight year. Was there any debate for someone else to be here? And, and if so, how close was it? So there was, and it's interesting because the number two guy is, is Zach Mean, and it was a debate. I had Brendan Rodgers from the start at number one, and part of that, I will admit, is just because, you know, what do we know about prospect development in 2020, right? It was so all over the board. Nobody got a minor league season. Some teams, there were just a lot of differing approaches to how people were handling prospects. So it was hard to know in 2020 how to, how to do this, right? So I kind of just thought, hey, Brendan Rodgers back on top kind of by default. I wish he had graduated because that would make it life a little bit easier in that regard. But, and then some of the other guys on, on staff and, and, you know, you ended up being a little bit a part of this, I think, was, was starting to like, let's open it up and let's have a larger conversation about Zach Bean. But what's hard about this is that you could not have two prospects, unless Zach Veen was an international guy who was a teenager, you know, or an even younger teenager, you could not have two prospects in, in more different places on the spectrum, right? Like Brendan Rogers should have graduated in, in really any other normal year. He would have graduated. Zach Veen, meanwhile, has yet to play a game as a professional. And so that's, there is not a more apples and oranges out there. Maybe if Zach Veen was a projectable high school arm, maybe that would be tougher, but because Zach means position player, there's a little more certainty there, but there, so there was a debate, but ultimately what it came down to was, was a couple of things is one is that the point I made, you know, yes, there is some lagging enthusiasm about Rogers tools, but people still believe that he has a high floor as a big leaguer and will be a big leaguer. There's little doubt about Brennan Rogers will be a big leaguer in 2021. There's very little risk of complete flame out where he's, you know, out of baseball in any short period of time here, he's going to be a big leaguer. Zach Veen, you just don't know. The other thing about Zach Veen is he's, it's a very exciting tool package. People, I'm excited to see what that, you know, how far along the power comes. I mean, he's already a grown man body. Like he, he just doesn't look like high school kids often look. Even the, the more, you know, the stronger ones are a little bit ganglier or they just don't look like they have any sort of projection to them. Like there's the high school kids that are just already maxed out. He's kind of in between where he looks like a grown man. And then they tell you, you know, he, he looks like somebody who could really add to his body, which is a scary thought because he's already just a, a big, strong kid. So the power is really enticing. He's also a very, very good athlete. Maybe what dinged him a little bit and then helps to kind of make our decision with Rodgers and Bean is that he's probably not a center fielder. He's probably a corner guy, and he's going to have the power to profile his left field if that's what he ends up with, but he does have the arm for right field. So there is, there is defensive value there. I'm not suggesting he's a zero defensively, but – they're going to give him a shot at center field as you should with someone as athletic as he is. And maybe the athleticism kind of covers up for the fact that he's not a burner, but he's, he, he's probably going to be a right fielder in his best defensive profile. And so if you're really nitpicking one versus two here, that's the type of thing that ends up making a little bit of a difference. And that's why we ultimately end up going with Rogers at number one. 
Yeah, no, I'm going to be very, very curious to see uh, Zach Vee in his pro debut. He was someone who really shot up over the course of the last year. And he was one of the few guys who got somewhat substantial playing time in the spring. Again, it's all relative. It wasn't substantial in the grand scheme of things, but compared to a large swath of the country that didn't get to play at all or only got in, in some cases, we had high school kids who only got in one or two games before the season shut down. Florida started a little early. He was able to go out there and perform and really raise the stock. And uh, yeah, I know I'm going to be very, very curious to see just how it carries over into his first full professional season. It's one of those weird things of 2020 where I feel like if he had gotten two months in the AZL, well, it wouldn't be the AZL for the Rockies. It would have been Grand Junction. Uh, They don't have an AZL affiliate. But just, you know, if he did get those two months to go out and show what he can do in pro ball, you know, how that would have changed the calculation. It's, It's just one of those odd things of 2020, like you mentioned, normal year, Brendan Rogers graduates and Zach Veen gets, you know, to show what he can do in pro ball, uh, as opposed to, he did participate in instructs and, but again, it's, it's very different that versus you can't really replicate regular season, full professional setting. I think he is certainly going to be one of the guys to watch. As far as high school prospects go, I mean, he's a little bit of a known quantity. So I think there is that there. And I will tell you that the Rockies are very bullish on the idea that for a couple of guys, I mean, I know we won't really touch on this guy necessarily, but Drew Romo, you know, highly regarded defensive catcher is another guy. They say, you know, high school catchers are notoriously risky, a profile, and especially ones that are kind of defense first because you, you just don't know how much they're going to hit. But they really like the fact that he is, he's not your typical high school catcher and that they think he can move relatively quickly. So I think uh, Veen and, and to some degree Romo, I think, are, are not going to be typical high school. In, now, it depends on how the Rockies approach that. They could choose to move him slowly, but I don't think those guys are going to be held back necessarily by ability as far as the Rockies wanting to jumpstart their development a little bit. I think that's going to be one of the interesting kind of subplots of the 2021 season, how, how all minor leaguers adjust coming back after a year without really any long stretches of formal competitive gameplay. But especially for the highly touted high school guys from this draft class. I think that's going to be really, really interesting to watch. Joe, want to jump into the rest of this farm system real quick. We're going to take a quick break. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back with Joe Healy discussing the Colorado Rockies farm system. Joe, you talked about Brendan Rogers and Zach Veen being the debate for number one in this system. These are the top two prospects. That was pretty clear. How would you say the next tier of guys shakes out? How deep does it go? What's the demarcation point throughout the rest of this top 10? That's a good question. They're all kind of on, I would say so many of these guys, if you go through the top 10, are on similar tracks. I'm curious, maybe, you know, once I wrap up here, I'm curious if maybe you agree or disagree with that, because you know the system well also. And I, I feel like they are a little bit, this is where a little bit of the gap is, right, with the Rockies, where they've got They've got guys who are ready literally right now, a Brendan Rogers, for example, or a, a guy who's just outside the top 10, Ryan Castellani, you know, guys who are going to get their shot in 2021 and they're going to make or break in a lot of ways what their next step is. And then after that, you kind of have guys who are more in the 2022, maybe 2023 time window a little bit. Uh, that's maybe where a little bit of this gap is. And that's what makes where the Rockies are at a little bit awkward because they, that next wave is the one who's coming through now. It should have been Rogers a couple of years ago, yes. But, you know, Hilliard and, and Castellani, and you talked about Dahl and Tapia, those guys. And that's maybe where there a little bit of this lag has been. And so there's a lot of excitement, though, about some of the guys that are, that are coming up. I really like 
the kind of position player group they have here in the in the top ten. Now you have Ryan Rollison at three, who ends up at three because he's got a, a fairly high floor left-handed pitcher whose stuff is is good but not great. But he's you know it's good command, good pitchability, uh, really mature guy. He's one of those guys that you know evaluators would tell you he knows how to pitch, like he knows how to get everybody out. Like he he's a very cerebral pitcher, but. I'm really excited about Michael Tolia and I'm a little bit biased because I'm a college writer and he was a guy at UCLA who put up numbers and was fun to watch on, on those UCLA teams. But um, he's a guy that if it's one of those deals where if he was a year older and you're talking about an infield in 21 of, you know, maybe Arenado story, Rogers and Tolia, like now you'd really be cooking, I feel like. And he's got a little bit of versatility. He can play the outfield. They like him there. But the thing about it is, I think that's kind of like a break glass in case of emergency situation. Like let's say you have to put Colton Welker, another top 10 guy who it's all about his bat. Uh, he's probably a corner infielder and maybe just a first baseman. Um, you know, you, so if, if he ends up having to go to first base, you can put Tolia in the outfield. But I think the Rockies are inclined to try to find every opportunity to, to have Tolia be their first baseman in the future. Cause you'll like this comp uh, Kyle and I, maybe you've heard it, but uh, the comp I got on him was was JT Snow in terms of uh, big-time glove, potential gold glove first baseman, saves your, your entire infield, dozens of errors, um, you know, hits for some power, um, but it, 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 it's glove and power. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I thought you'd like that comp. When I first heard it, I thought Kyle's going to like that comp there. So the guy I would say that is is kind of the more intri- one of the more intriguing guys here in this top 10 from a position player standpoint is, is Britton Doyle. The story is – you know, any writer's dream. He's a guy who was originally committed to go to VMI and was a little concerned as the story goes about balancing military, you know, military, military institute requirements with playing baseball. So he ends up at a division two in West Virginia called Shepherd and just puts up massive numbers. And the Rockies kind of get a, a steal in the fourth round with him and he's done nothing but impress. Now it's a very limited track record. And so I was, I was kind of inclined to maybe not have him this high. And I'm glad some of you guys kind of talked me into having him a little bit higher, but you know, this as well as I do, Kyle, that when you talk to these, these people in these organizations, there are certain players in the system, the tone of their voice changes when they talk about them. And it doesn't matter. It's one of those things where it's not the words they're saying, it's how they're saying them. And Britton Doyle is that guy. He's the guy that lights them up. And so if you're, if you're a Rockies fan, he's a guy, and you know, we're not alone on this. Like, you know, people know about Britton Doyle now, but the, the, there's not a lot of track record there, but the tools are, are very much there. And so he's a guy who, who I imagine is, is going to catch up with a lot of this next wave of guys and a guy to be very excited about as someone who could maybe play all three outfield positions, you know, maybe is a guy who could be a middle of the order, bad hit and power. I, I'm a little bit inclined to be skeptical of throwing, you know, five tool grades on guys when they, with his little track record is that, but you know, everything I've heard is, is that he could be that guy. And so that's, that's really, really exciting. So that's, that, that's the name that I think is one of the ones I'm more excited to watch as, as, as 2021 unfolds. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You look at this group, particularly I think in the three to eight range, but you can really extend to three to 10. There are guys here who are interesting. This is not a shallow system. You know, we talk about some other systems where it's, two guys. And then by the time you get to number eight, you're like, man, I am scraping there. There's just not a lot here. And that that's not the case with the Rockies. I think at times they've been portrayed that way. And I don't think that's accurate, 
know, Ryan Rolson, um, really polished lefty, you know, Michael Tole, you talked about was a first rounder who hit at a major program and has impressed for the most part so far in his pro career. And Aaron Shunk and Bretton Doyle in particular, those two, you mentioned Doyle, and I think Shunk falls in with this as well. These are two players who went out last year in their pro debuts and immediately opened eyes in the Pioneer League. Now, again, they're college guys playing some competition that in some cases is, is below them. But even taking that context into account and, and the offensive numbers being juicy just because you're in the Pioneer League and, and especially Grand Junction, even in that context, it was very clear like, hey, these two guys, there's something here with Shunk and Doyle. And that continued, the reports we got from Instructs as well, continued to be very, very promising this year. And that was part of the conversation we had where, you know what, let's run these guys up. These are two very talented players, two very different pedigrees. Shunk was a major college program guy at Georgia, taken in the second round. Doyle, as you mentioned, fell under the radar at a small D2 in West Virginia, but it's been interesting hearing just consistently good stuff about these guys. And you got in Chris McMahon, who was a high pick this year, very well regarded out of Miami. Some really good initial reports to him as well. Colton Walker has had some struggles at times, but you're still talking about a younger guy who got to double A. You know, and even Ryan Valade, there's a guy here people think can hit, what position he's going to play, who knows. But anytime you're talking about a young kid who can hit, there's reason to be excited there. And, and then I think you wrap it up. Hell, Chris Olivares is another guy who Buzz really started a few years ago in extended spring training. He carried that through into his pro debut and even into instructs this year. Uh, anytime you see a lefty with that arm strength and some of the secondaries are moving in the right direction, it's promising. So this Rockies list only has two top 100 prospects in Rogers and Veen. But I think you go down the list and there's the next eight guys are all guys you say, yeah, there's something to like here. It's not like you're getting to number eight and nine and you go, Ugh, I don't know, which cannot be said for quite a few other systems. So I, I think there is some depth here to work with in addition to potentially two top 100 prospects. I'm glad you say that because that, so that was kind of my impression of it. And, and because I'm a little bit of an outsider on this and, and really helicoptered in on this chapter, that was the impression I got. But sometimes I wondered if it's really easy to buy in on guys when you're getting the positive reports on them and, and you, you know, some of these guys well. And so that was kind of the impression I got as well Is there's some, there's some depth here. There's some quality depth here. And there's some guys that are on, on the, on the come up. You mentioned Chris McMahon and he's an interesting one because he's another one of those guys like Britton Doyle. There was a lot of positivity about, and I kind of asked for a comparison between Chris McMahon and a couple of other guys. They have a little bit further down the system in Carl Kaufman, and Sam Weatherly, who are similar profiles in terms of very accomplished college arms at major programs, were drafted, you know, top handful of rounds. And everything I heard was that McMahon was on another level from those guys. It wasn't necessarily a negative on, on Kaufman or, or Weatherly, but it was just that McMahon had already impressed so much, not just with the stuff, but they just really like his, his attitude and his moxie. And that was something that goes back to his, his days in Miami. He was always a guy and this is easy to say because it's Miami and I think everyone kind of associates swagger with Miami, but he, he really did have kind of that swagger on the mound. He, he wanted to let you know that he was Miami's Friday guy and he had that kind of attitude about it. And I think they, they like that, that competitiveness, that aggressiveness on the mound. 
Um, and they're really excited about that. Valade is, you mentioned Valade as well. And I think he's a guy who's a candidate for, there's been so much made about him defensively. And what is he? He gets drafted as a, a big bodied shortstop out of the high school ranks. And it's like, you know, you start to talk about, okay, well, is he a third baseman? Maybe he's not a shortstop, but is he a third baseman? And then it's like, well, the next step is often first base, but with him, it's, it's, it's maybe outfield. And, and I think he's a candidate for one of those guys that there's been very little doubt about his bat. And maybe now that he's found a little bit of a home in the outfield, it kind of takes some of the weight off of his shoulders a little bit, because I think these guys, it's easy for them to get kind of, um, there can be a weight about what am I defensively? Am I doing the right things defensively? Do I need to hit with more? If they're going to put me at third base, does that mean I need to hit with more power now? Should I be recruiting power? Should I be trying to, you know, manufacture power? And then maybe uh, rather than worrying about just being who they are. And I think maybe Valade in the outfield gives him a chance to just kind of be who he is a little bit more. And so there was a lot of positivity about, about him as well. And, you know, Welker might be a good example of, of a guy who, you know, maybe he ends up as a, as a first baseman and maybe that's, that's okay. But he was a guy who maybe tried to get a little bit outside of himself there for a while in 2019, things kind of got sideways on him. He was a guy, there was a lot of helium behind and, and he got, like I said, a little sideways in 2019. And the, the, the thought is that he was trying to be somebody he wasn't, and maybe he was a little bit caught up and I need to be, I need to be this guy who's, who's hitting bombs and hitting tanks here. And part of that was his body was getting bigger as well. And um, so they're working with him to try to just, just be who you are. We loved who you were. We, we didn't have a problem with who you were. And so defensive questions aside about Welker, there's the positivity about, about the bat for sure. Yeah, one thing about Valade in particular that's always intrigued me, I saw him in Asheville and I saw him in Lancaster, coast to coast, and both seasons he has gotten off to poor starts and he's adjusted and been excellent in the second half of the season. I think anytime you see a young guy who isn't phased by a rough month, two rough months, he works through it, he makes the adjustments and delivers, that's intriguing to me. So I think that Anytime you see that from, from a young guy, again, he's been young for most of the levels he's been at. It's interesting. I do think it's something that I'll be keeping an eye on. One thing we talk about, this is, again, there's some depth here. Eight of the top 10 have yet to play above the class A levels. And that's where, again, we talk a little bit about needing to make the jump, where there's some uncertainty still. Again, there's absolute talent you see here. Um, but just given, and again, some of that's a product of, of the pandemic. Some of these guys would have jumped to double A in 2020, but until they physically make the jump, it's hard to, you know, say, oh yeah, they can totally do it. You have to see it. So I think that's going to be one of the more interesting developments for this Rocky system next year. If Ryan Valade makes the jump to double A and has the success that some people think he can with the bat, if Brenton Doyle and Aaron Shunk and Michael Tolia, who have only been able to play short season ball by virtue of the 2020 season getting canceled. If they go out to a full season and they hit their way up from high to double A, I think it's going to be interesting. And I do see the potential for this Rocky system, at least this top 10 a year from now to look better than it does today with the same players, just because they've gone out and proved it. But, you know, again, there's also the possibility and see it every year. There's attrition. There are guys who we think can make the jump that don't, and you just kind of have to see it happen. So I think 2021 in that respect is going to be very interesting for this Rockies group. And that's true of every top 10 group you're going to come across where it's, oh, hey, eight of the 10 guys have yet to play above a ball. Just seeing them make that jump to the upper minors is so key and really is a lot of times what separates the best farm systems from the worst, just showing that they, yeah, they have the talent and the 
adjustability to successfully make the jump to the higher levels. It is a, it is a group that is still trying, it's trying, still trying to figure out, you ask about kind of where the, the pecking order was. And it's, it's a little bit tough, like I said earlier, because you do have guys who are ready right this minute. And then you've got guys who haven't played, you know, above, above a ball for the most part. And I think there's, there's a lot the Rockies have to sort through with figuring out what they have. I mean, now I know in some cases that some of the guys they have that are trying to break through as, as regular big leaguers are, are not guys they're expecting to be superstar cornerstones, but you know, they've already obviously made a decision on David Dahl, but you know, Rymel Tapia is, you know, is, is kind of in the mix. Hilliard is in that mix. Castellani is going to be in that mix. Obviously Brendan Rogers is in that mix. And with these, with this next wave of guys coming up and many of them will broach potentially double a in 2021, the Rockies are going to have a lot of decisions to make because especially on the position player side, there is a little bit of redundancy there. You know, when you, you've got, you know, a guy like Tolia plus a couple of guys that maybe are better suited at first base. And then the outfield is pretty crowded. I, I kind of struggled with, for those who eventually read it in the handbook, you know, we've got the, the, the 2024 projected lineups out. And that was kind of tough for me because they do have a lot of redundancies in the lineup, which is, you know, and I had to make decisions on how much do I believe in, in Sam Hilliard versus putting a, you know, Valade out there or Britton Doyle out there, or maybe does Britton Doyle fit in center field or does Britton Doyle go in right field? And what do I do with Zach Veen, who's a right fielder? And I know every system has those little issues because you're, you're trying to project, you know, four years into the future, but the Rockies were particularly hard because there is a lot of, a lot of those guys. Meanwhile, um, not a lot of true shortstops in the system, you know, uh, not a lot of true catchers. So they have their own little uh, positions where they have a, a dearth of, 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 promise at least at the the present moment so there is the other side of that scale too but 2021 is definitely going to be a year both at the big league level and the minor leagues of kind of sorting for the Rockies I I get the feeling. So beyond this top 10 it seems we've got a very clear top two of the three to 10 group how many guys were surefire top 10 prospects and then how many guys outside of it would you say were also in consideration? So there was really only I think there's a handful of guys that were probably could could come or go one was we talked about was Doyle just because it was balancing we're getting these glowing reports on him versus what have we seen from him really Shunk was another one because I think sometimes I fall victim to this where Shunk is the type of guy one of the first things you hear about him is he's going to overachieve his tools he's a hard worker he's a mature kid and I think sometimes you can naturally you hear that and that makes you kind of short on their tools and you think, oh, this guy isn't toolsy. And it turns out the tools are a little better than I was probably giving him credit for. So at one point, you know, he was considered to be out of the top 10. Um, other than, the, and Oliveris was, I guess, the other guy in the top 10 who was at one point a little bit further back for a lot of the similar reasons. I mean, look, he, he just now came stateside in 2019 and now all of a sudden he's on the 40 man. So, you know, he's kind of made a, a pretty quick leap there. The guys who fell a little bit, um, one was Castellani. Uh, he was hard to rank because he's a big leaguer. So there's a floor there for sure, but it's hard to know, you know, their, their rotation is pretty crowded these days, the Rockies and his, he, he could be a reliever, but it's not like electrifying reliever stuff. He's not pumping triple digits or anything like that with a wipeout breaking ball. So he's not necessarily a great, a natural fit there necessarily. Uh, Grant Levine was another guy. Um, you know, he's kind of, one of the bigger mysteries in the system, a talented kid, but he's a New Hampshire high school kid who hasn't played a lot of baseball. New Hampshire high school doesn't play a lot of games. 
it's just not conducive. It's the, the opposite of whatever Southern California and Florida are in terms of playing games, you know, just tough weather wise. And, you know, he was a multi-sport guy in high school too. So he was doing things other than baseball, which is great for development, but you know, he just hasn't played as many games. And then you, you compound that with not getting to play a 2020 season. And he's a guy who probably needed a minor league season as much as anybody and just didn't get one because he, he just doesn't have the at-bats there. And then Drew Romo was probably the other guy who was in consideration here. And the, the, the pro uh, on the pro con list, the pro is that he's a, everybody agrees on the defensive tools could be an elite defensive catcher, really mature guy. The con is just kind of what you hear all the time with, with guys who are defense first catchers and that's how much can they hit. Now the, the positive I heard is that the power is better than maybe they initially thought so that maybe he can be a, you know, a low average guy who can, who can run the ball out of the ballpark and provide sparkling defense, which is not a bad profile to have, but we still need to see it. So he ends up getting dinged a little bit just because the offensive profile is a little bit of a, a little bit of a question mark, but, but those were probably the guys who were, who were the most in the mix there. And it gets kind of complicated after that because, you know, you, you may notice not a lot of international flavor in the, the top portion of this list for the Rockies, but they start to come pretty hot and heavy after we get outside the top 10 and then you're really talking about guys who are a little bit further away, a little bit tougher to project. And, and tip, outside of Oliveris, who's made a jump, it's just hard to know when those guys are going to make that jump necessarily, both in a literal sense of coming stateside and also just in a figurative sense of, of getting better and developing. And so those guys weren't really necessarily in consideration because it's, it's, it's in the teens, the, uh, the international guys, Adiel Amador, guys like that start to come. Yeah, and again, we'll see what this system looks like next year again. Anytime you have a system with so many guys in the lower levels, we talked about eight of the top 10. If you extend that to the guys who we're talking about were top 10 consideration, it comes out to 10 of the top 13 have yet to play above the Class A levels. I think the 2021 season will be really instructive. It's possible that a group of these guys jumps and all of a sudden, hey, the Rockies, you know, they, they've got something here. And it's possible they don't. And then you have to reconsider things. I think the unique nature of the 2020 season and how many guys we just have to wait on made systems like this, I won't say tougher to evaluate, but there's just so many more question marks because of the youth, because of just the nature of it. And then the Rockies are not alone in this. Again, there's a lot of systems you can say that about. Joe, any final thoughts on the Rockies? The system, the major league team, how long until they're competitive again? Just what's the overall outlook? So I think what I would say is um, I understand if you're a Rockies fan, you're a little bit worried about maybe the way the offseason has gone and, and the immediate prospects. But I would hang in there a little bit because there is talent here. And if let's say you end up in a situation where Arnado is not on the, the opening day or not on the opening day roster and, and Trevor Story's also kind of follows him out the door, like, yes, that would obviously put you in an immediate rebuild situation. But A, the young talent is, is even the, on the big league roster is, is pretty good. And B, as Kyle and I have been talking about, there's a lot of prospects on this list who probably will be knocking on the door or in double A in 2021. So that next wave is really not too, too far behind. And, and yes, there is a lot of uncertainty there. And that's frustrating for a team that was in the playoffs just a few years ago and looked to really be building with the, with the World Series window that just had flung wide open. So I understand that frustration there, but I don't think it's a situation where, you know, you lose those guys at the big league level and you're, you're going to be walking into the abyss for 10 years. Could that happen? Sure. Like nothing is guaranteed. Things just sometimes don't work out. However, 
that is not going to be because the Rockies are completely devoid of talent in the system. Another window is going to come along. Whether or not those players end up being good enough to fling a World Series window wide open remains to be seen. But I don't think the big league roster getting dismantled a little bit in 2021 means the Rockies are going to disappear altogether for another long cycle of, of a downturn. It could turn out that way if things don't work like they want them to. But I do think there's enough talent in the system to suggest that they could be competitive again in short order. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insight as always. Yeah, this was fun, Kyle. I appreciate it. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Joe Healy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.